Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. Well, I'm excited about this message today of what's on my heart. Um, I've never taught anything on this here subject in the past, but it's on tables. And to me, tables are very significant, and they're very significant in the Bible. And there's actually 88 uh, times the word table is actually used. And the majority of the times it is used is the table of showbread, where it speaks of our fellowship, our communion, uh, the place where families, the place where guests, the place where friends, and the place where even strangers are actually invited to. And then you'll see another 17 times you'll see the word tables is uh, always in the plural. And to me, tables have some really, really good memories for me in this here church. I remember when I was uh, just starting to court Pastor Kathy, okay, before we had gotten married. And I remember we went up to Frankenmuth. We were going there for lunch. I took the staff for lunch up there in Frankenmuth in Michigan for a chicken dinner because Pastor Howie liked fried chicken, okay? So anyway... (laughs) And Pastor Luke and Leela were driving with me in the car, and and all the way there, they were asking all kinds of questions to find out and locate who this girl was that that Pastor Rick was getting sweet on, amen? So I I remember that we had dinner, and then Pastor Brian's over there at the dinner table, and he goes, hey, Pastor Kathy, welcome to the family. And it's like, whoa, 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 where are you going with this here? Okay, so for me, dinner tables were very, uh, very exciting times. And I remember I was over at the Golden Grill restaurant over on Huron Church where the old Comfort Inn was. I think they tore it down now, but it's where it used to be over there. And I remember going there one night, and it was a really challenging weekend because the weekend I had it all planned that I was going to meet Kathy up in Grand Bend, and she was going to stay at her mom's, and I had already had a place booked for my, the boys and myself to meet her up there. And we got a terrible uh, tragedy hit that week, and a little two-year-old girl fell in the tub, bumped her head, and she, and she drowned. And it was just a terrible terrible weekend. It just, it was just, everything got thrown off. So I called Kath and said, Kath, I said, you know, I said, if you want to come down to Windsor, I says, it's, uh, I said, but I, I, I got to be there for this family. I got to be there for this funeral. And it was just a really deep, deep, painful time. Okay. So anyway, after the weekend, after the funeral, after everything, the services, and I remember that she stayed with uh, Pastor Dave and Barb and was over at the house and she had some questions, and a lot of the questions were half answered over at the dinner table. But then that night, I'll never forget, I went to the Golden Griddle, and uh, cheap, okay, no, <laughs> that's a joke, okay? And Kathy was there, and the, the two of us. You guys, I mean, this is a good story. So I'm over at the dinner table with Pastor Kathy, and, and I'm looking into these big brown eyes. And I said, my kind of girl, you know what she orders? She orders toast. She orders toast, the cheapest thing on the whole menu. Matter of fact, she didn't even look at the menu. She was so infatuated with me. Now, if you believe that, there's problems for all of us. So, but she orders toast. And then she says, do you have any jam? It's like, okay, whatever, girl, you know. So here we are. And then we're at the dinner table, and we're just talking, because the whole weekend it was running, we were busy with people. Now, just the two of us are by ourselves, and 
I look in her big brown eyes and I said, so what's God saying to you, girl? And she looked at me and she said, what's God saying to you? And this is my aunt at the dinner table, okay? I said, well, God said, I'm going to marry you. That's what I told her. And she says, I already know that. And I'm like, okay, one up already on me, okay? And so, but it was at the dinner table that there was a connection point that had taken place. We were up in uh, Mississauga, and it was her late husband. He had passed away, and it was on that same day later, years later, that, that I walked into the restaurant, and it was at the dinner table, and she, she recognized it. That was it. That was, this, this is the one right there. So at the dinner table, I can have some really, really good memories. How many had good memories at the dinner table? How many had some bad memories at the dinner table? In the Bible that says over there in Psalms, it says, Psalm 128, your children be like vigorous young olive trees as they sit around your table. And with our six married kids and, and then 12 of them and then 16 grandkids, it's 28. And then Kathy and I, just 30 right there. And, and we've been there with all the tables and all over the house. And it's just... It's an amazing experience, but then also as you get older and things happen in people's lives, they move and because of jobs and careers and different things that comes up, and it's not the same at the dinner table. And some of the kids aren't there. How many know what I'm talking about? And so we've learned to, to grow through and, and to navigate through these here stories, but the tables had very, very significant times to Kathy and I with the families. And I remember Kathy used to get all these different games because she was trying to, you know, blend the two families together. And she had the three daughters, I had the three sons. And, and there were some challenges with kids. How many know what I'm talking about? How many know there's challenges with just, with, without blending families? Three people in here know what I'm talking about. The rest of you, you can come and teach this lesson, okay, afterwards, all right? Okay, so you can sign up for the pre-marriage classes, all right? But anyway, we've recognized that. But then we've also been at the table and we've seen things. And 1 Samuel 20, 34 says, Jonathan, because his daddy was really hateful towards David, and it showed itself. And at the table, it says, Jonathan left the table. And it says, in fierce anger, and refused to eat on that second day of the festival, for he was crushed by his father's shameful behavior towards David. We saw for 17 years he hunted him down like a madman. He hunted him down to kill him because he was so jealous and so envious of David. But we saw that there was a reaction that took place at the table. And I've been at tables before where there was anger. I've been at tables where there was resentment. I've been at tables where there was unresolved conflicts and unhealed hurts, and, and they all manifested themselves at the table. And I know what the Scripture speaks about when it says it's better to eat vegetables than it is a fatted calf with strife. Because I've been there at those tables, and they're not pleasant tables. And you walk off that table, and you just don't even want to eat. You're not even hungry anymore because there was so much strife. There was so much contention. So maybe I'm the only one that's ever been at a table like that, but, I, but I've been there over the years. I don't, I don't want to park there. I don't want to stay there, but we've been there. So we understand what that is like for individuals to go through that. But then there's been other tables that I've been at over the years. I remember when I first uh, preached over here in Windsor, and we were renting the basement of the Nobles Baptist Church over there uh, by, the, uh, by where Maranatha School is, just uh, where the exit is over there to your left. And I remember going there, and there was about 28 people at, that were, had a prayer meeting over there. And I met Nello Pianlini right at the tunnel, and then 
He came and introduced me to Margie, and then afterwards, Marilyn and Joe and Elma and Helmut Bernard and then Ed and Paul invited me back to Marilyn's house, and she lived right over there on Cabana. The streets where she's at's not even there. The houses are all torn down. It's a whole new subdivision over there, and, but they had me back over there, and I was at the table, and at the table, I felt interrogated that night, you know? They were asking me all these here questions. Well, what kind of preacher are you? Well, you just heard me. What kind of guy do you think I am? Okay. And want to know your vision for children, because you didn't have children's ministry then. And, and I, I said, well, that's, that's really a deep passion of mine. And wanted to know what my vision was in prayer. And I said, well, yeah, that, everything's got to be birthed. Everything's got to be started. Everything's got to be maintained with prayer. Without that, it ain't going to work, you know. And then, and then they said, well, we want to know, are you a word guy? And I said, well, yeah. I said, everything we're going to teach is going to be, it's going to be based on the Bible. That's my favorite book, amen? And then they said, well, what's your vision? I said, really, to unify the body of Christ in Canada, Amen. And so to make a long story short, that table was very significant and meant memories to me. And then Mama Paolini, when I came over here, uh, I was 150 pounds, okay? I didn't even have a gray hair. I didn't even have that little spot that's in the back that you can all see on the camera that I, I don't like that part. I don't like the camera in the back, okay? But anyway, there wasn't even a, you know, the head was much more fuller than it is now. And I'll never forget that Mrs. Paolini used to always just loved me as a son and, and came over and made me feel very welcomed. And we'd get to know, I got to know Nello and Marge. I got to know Mrs. Paolini and her husband and got to know Nancy and Lou. And it was always at the table and she made homemade gnocchi, amen? And she had roasted red peppers. And it was, it was amazing because the table to me was huge. It was, it's a place of fellowship. It's a, a place where you tell stories. It's a place where you can hear somebody else's life and everybody else's story. And then there's another story, and then I fell sweet with Kathy after that, that experience there, and my daughter, Melissa, was in Christ for the Nation. We weren't married at that time, but she was already down there at Christ for the Nation, coming back for the break, and uh, that's when I was going to propose to Kathy, and I remember pulling on the Ambassador Bridge before 911, and I stopped on the Ambassador Bridge, right in the middle of the Ambassador Bridge, and I had a plan on the Ambassador Bridge to propose to her. So I stopped right in the middle, and I says, uh, Kathy, uh, would you marry me? And this is what her answer is. No exaggeration. She says, well, what if I say no? You're going to jump? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, I don't know what to think of this girl. And then she looked over at me with them big brown eyes and said, yes, I will marry. And I kissed her on the bridge. Then I went in the trunk and I had a dozen roses. You could bring them in back then, okay? Now you can't bring flowers and everything else. You can't even bring nuts, you know? So I don't know how I get in there. But, <laughs> but I say all that because, to me, the table is a very significant place. And in the Bible, it's very significant. But have you ever thought about being invited to God's table? And the opportunity we're going to have to have meals with the Son of God. The opportunities we're going to have to have meals with daddy. The opportunities we're going to have with the person of the Holy Spirit. And we'll see, because we believe here in the Godhead. Come on, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they're all people. They're not, you know, how many know it's one God, but how many know three persons and one God? So we believe in that. That's part of our tenets of faith. It's the word Elohim. And Elohim, whenever I am at the end of a Hebrew word, 2,602 references in the scripture to I am. So it's always in the plural. So when it says, in the beginning, God, Elohim, made the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. So Elohim is, is brought out referenced all the way through. So, so I've learned to know over these here years that God is my father. Come on. 
I've got to know him as my father. I've got to know Jesus, not just as my savior, but as Lord of my life. And, and I've always prayed that, God, I want Jesus' heart to become my heart. And the heart of Jesus, that's what I want to man. That's what I want to be. That's what I want to be remembered for. Not my preaching, not my teaching, but the heart of Jesus. And then I've got to know, and, and it's a few years at first, but then I got to know the Holy Spirit as a person. And really, the Holy Spirit today is, it's not an emblem, it's not a dove, it's not a bird. The Holy Spirit's a person. He's the guide in my life. He's the, he's the lover in my life. And the Holy Spirit comforts, the Holy Spirit encourages, the Holy Spirit is always there. Come on. And so I also recognize the Holy Spirit has a body. Amen. It's not just the Spirit. The Holy Spirit had said it descended upon the Son of God, Jesus, in bodily appearance. So, so there's a bodily form, the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is just like, just like us, like a body. Amen. And I won't share what, what my belief is also, but I believe the Holy Spirit could be the feminine part of the Godhead. And I, I won't develop that. He counsels, comforts, encourages, strengthens, gives birth, and all the other things that the help me does. But regardless, of that, that's just an opinion. And the main thing is the Holy Spirit is a person. Amen? And so I say all that there because I'm looking forward to those times to commune at the table then, but also the time that we can commune here. We don't have to wait till then communion. How many know God's in our midst when we break bread? Then in the Bible, there was a man, and this man went through an incredible tragedy in his life. He lost his grandfather, and he lost his daddy in the same day. And this little boy was probably a very lively young boy. He was a little kid that liked to play, liked to run around, liked to have fun. And then something tragic happened to this little boy. He lost loved ones. And not just one, two, and, and then he lost one of his uncles also. But, then, but then, then, then there was another that transpired, the nurse who was actually the caregiver. She was the nanny of this here young boy because it was a royal family and it was all Saul's household. And in 2 Samuel chapter 4, 4, the scripture picks up and tells us what happened to this boy. It says Saul's son Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth who was crippled as a child. And he was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in the battle. And when the child's nurse heard the news, she picked him up and fled. But as she hurried away, she dropped him. And he became crippled. So we don't know what happened. We don't know exactly the age of this here boy. We, I shouldn't say that we know that he was a young boy, okay, five years of age. So we don't know if he was on the shoulders. Or but they're panicking because Saul's dynasty is all over. And they thought that, that, that David was just going to polish out all the remnant of Saul's household. But he wasn't. And then we pick up a story about this here young boy. Years later have gone by, and we see that he's living in a, in a town called Lodabar. We see something over there which means pasture. It means uninhabited. It means a lonely, isolated place. So we find out that this Mephibosheth is living out somewhere where he's being hid, where, where he doesn't want anybody to know. And then in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse number 1, we see the story that David comes and he asks, he said, is any in Saul's family still alive? Now understand, Saul's family, Saul, the leader of the nation, Israel, wanted to kill David. And he went after him for 17 years. And so David hid himself in the cave of Dedulam. There's so many messages, so many stories we can preach about that. And David showed love towards Saul even when he had the ability to take him out. 
And he never would raise his hand and strike his hand against the authority inside of his life. But it says when David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness? For Jonathan's sake. Put this up. You guys got to see this here. And then keep going down with me. He summoned a man uh, named Ziba, and, and it says over to who had been one of Saul's servants. And he brings him in. He says, are you Ziba? The king asked. He said, yes, sir. I am Zeba. And, and, and look what it says over there. You, you, you got to get on it. The king then asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. And Zeba replied, yes, one, Jonathan's son, is still alive. He's a crippled in what? Come on, both feet. Now listen to this. We're going to read down the story over there. Where is he? The king asked in Lodabar. Zeba told him, at the home of Maker, son of Emil. Very interesting, all those names. Uh, the word Emil literally means my kinsman is God, but the house of Maker means a salesman, a merchandiser. And so as we're reading the story over there, we can see the picture that here's this kid at five years of old. He's running out with his nanny, and she drops, and the kid becomes crippled. Never he has time to grieve his father. Never has time to, to grieve his grandfather or his uncle. They're all dead on Gilboa. And then here's this child now. Here's this child with all these suppressed feelings, all these suppressed emotions. And this child's out there isolated. And all of a sudden, he gets a message that the king summons you to come. And so he's thinking now, Man, this is it. I'm dead dog. I, my life is all over. Now let's go down. Go down to verse number five. Keep it coming down here. Everybody read to me. So David sent for him in and brought him from Maker's house. And then look what happened. Look what he brought him. Come on. His name was Mephibosheth, and he was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, what did he do? Come on. And what does it say? I am your servants, okay? Look at the next verse, number seven. Come on, don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your... Let, let, let me just take this here because this is one of the best biblical stories of identification and love. And it's a story about every one of us over here today. And there's people watching by live stream, there's people in this here room, and you have a, you have a wrong concept about God. And you believe, listen very good, you believe that God's out to get you. You believe that God wants to get even with you. You believe that God wants to bring pain in your life. You believe that God's caused the problems inside of your life. And you believe that God's not for you, that he's against you. And the message of the cross of Jesus is that, listen, man, I care about you. And I showed my loving kindness by laying down my life for you. And my desire today is that you come to my table. My desire today is that you come and eat with me. My desire today is that you be reconciled to my family today. And so the concepts that people have of God today, it's just the opposite of how God sees us and what God thinks about us. And he goes on and he says, Jonathan, he, he says over there, my promise to your father, Jonathan. And he says, I will give you, look what it says, all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul. What does that mean? After David took it all over, how many know everything came into his possession? And he said, dude, everything that your daddy, everything your grandpa had, he says, I'm going to give it to you now. And he said, and you're going to eat here with me at the king's table. Come on. Now, now let's go a little bit further here. Listen to what he says over there. And, and, and the response of this here young man. Come on, verse number eight. Let's hit it right down. 
I'm going to have to go to my notes over here because I haven't memorized this whole portion. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, who is your servant that you should show such kindness? Look what he says, come on, to a dead dog like me. The message Bible says, who am I that you should pay attention to a stray dog like me? In other words, I don't even see myself. I'm not worthy to come to your table. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not a prerequisite. I haven't met any of the prerequisite. There's nothing good in my life. I've been in isolation. I've been in a habitation. And King, you want me to come to your table? And you want me to sit down at your table? And the answer is yes. I want you to be welcome. I want you with the other sons. I want you with my other daughters. And I want you to be there just like them. But the amazing thing about it is you can't see the crippledness at the table. And God put this in there that when you come to the table, you think all God sees is your addiction. You see all God sees is your sin. You think all God sees is the negative things inside your life. And God at the table sees you as a joint heir with Jesus Christ. He sees you as righteous as Jesus is righteous. And it's not earned, it's not deserved, and it's totally unmerited. And that's the position. And then look, look what it says over here. And, and, he says, and he says, then the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba. And he said, I've given you my master's grandson. Everything that belongs to Saul and his family. Look at this here. This is so powerful. Uh, and his family, you and your what? Come on. Sons and servants are to farm the land for him to produce food for your master's household. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will eat here, notice, at my table. And Ziba had, come on, 15 sons and how many servants? So there's 36 people that are now given the charge over one guy. And everything that Saul had was all now given to the son, to the grandson. No other living relatives were there. And Zebra replied, yes, my lord, the king. I am your servant, and I will do all that you've commanded me. And from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table like one of the king's own sons. Now, I don't know about you, but if you look at this chapter, there are four different references to the king's table that this outcast, that this reject, that this one that felt isolated, that the one that felt he could never measure up, that the one that felt he's just a stray dog, he's just out there on his own, and there's four invitations that it actually speaks about he was put to the place of the highest honor at the king's table. And what I've learned about God is that it don't matter where you're at. It don't matter what you've done. But the invitation is he wants you to come to his table to show his mercy, to show his loving kindness. And we don't serve him today out of fear of him like Mephibosheth had. We don't serve him today out of the wrong concepts if I could get the scales to go this way for God. But we serve him out of our love for him. We serve him out of our honor for him. That's the goodness of God that brought him to repentance. And it's the goodness of God that brought us to repentance. We got to understand this. So anyway, we can go on and on on this, but here. So now we see years goes by. And I've recognized this about church life. I've recognized this. There's many that are summoned to the table. 
and there's many that get restored. And there's many get All these are a type of what Christ did for you and I at Calvary. He put everything that Adam had back on us. The same standing Adam had is the same standing you and I have. The same place of dominion is the same place that we have today, and that's why we, we've been given the command to bind and to loose. Come on. And there's a whole message that I could share on, on everything. It's, it's, it's already ours. It's part of our inheritance, but most people don't know it, and that lack of knowledge is what's destroying people today. They don't feel they're welcome at the table. They feel that they're shamed at the table. Well, Pastor, you don't know what I've done, and you, you don't know what's going on in my life. Well, look what he says over here. Now, years have gone by in 2 Samuel 19, and I want to pick up in 24 because it's so crucial over here. He's reflecting now something's happened inside of his life. And, and this is in 2 Samuel 19, verse 24. It says, now Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson, he came down from Jerusalem. Now, hang on. To meet the king. He had not cared for his feet. He had, not, he had what? Not cared for his feet, trimmed his beard, or washed his clothes since the day the king left Jerusalem. Now listen carefully. Listen carefully. Something happened to this young man. He's a man now. He's responsible. Years have gone on. Still uh, one that sits at the king's table. But something happened in Mephibosheth's life. He got betrayed. He got deceived. He got lied to. And, and, it sells, and you're going to read it right now of what happened in his life. And how many know what we just read over there about he wasn't, he wasn't cleaning up his act. He wasn't uh, shaving his beard. How many know? He was depressed. And so something happened to this young man. And then it doesn't leave us in the dark about what happened. But this next verse is what's really crucial over here. And matter of fact, I, I don't believe this depression was a week or a day. I believe this had gone on for some time because David, he had been away. And it said, why, David says this here, he said, why didn't you come with me, Mephibosheth? The king asked him. Now look at the answer because this shares about what happens in real life. Mephibosheth replied, my lord, the king, my servant Ziba, what does it say? Come on. He deceived me. I told him, saddle my donkey so I can go with the king, for as you know, I am crippled. So in other words, listen, listen, I have this inability. I couldn't get the donkey ready myself, but he's the guy that you put in charge for me out here. I wanted to go out there to meet you. I wanted to connect out there with you, but Zeba deceived me. Look what it says over there. Come on. Zeba has slandered me by saying that I refused to come. But I know that my Lord, the king, is like an angel of God, so do what you think is best. The word slander, that means defamatory. It means injurious to our reputation. It means malicious. It means false reports, lies. It even speaks, if you want to term it, of gossip, of twisting truth, twisting information. And I've recognized something over the years in church life. I've recognized that sometimes people can say things that is very hurtful to others. And I've recognized that at times people to your face will say one thing, but then they say other things to other people that gets back to you. And this is exactly what had happened to Mephibosheth. So in real church life, if we don't take the higher road 
of God's forgiveness, then guess what? We're going to be uh, have an unshaven beard. Come on now. We're going to have a, the place we're going to get depressed. We're going to get heavy. Because I've learned in life, it's not what happens to me that counts. It's not what people do to me that counts. But it's what happens inside of me when those things hit me. And that's where the whole life in the spirit has got to be lived by is life from the inside, life from the inside out. Okay? And then look what it says over. And, and, all my relatives, and, and I could expect only death from you, my Lord. But instead, you have honored me by allowing me to eat at your own table. What more can I ask? Now, look, look at this next verse over here. It says, he said, you've said enough, David replied. I've decided that you and Zeba would divide your land equally between you. And, and then look at this next part with his heart. Give him all of it. Give it to Zeba. I really don't care. Mephibosheth said, he said, I'm content just to have you safely back again, my lord the king. Now, I don't know about you, but in life, how many know when the possessions and the blessings come between you and the relationship? That's one thing. But when relationships come between you and God, Mephibosheth's advice is, listen, I'd rather have you than any other. Come on. And then look what he goes on to say. I love this here. This is, this is so powerful. Give him it all, Mephibosheth said. I am content just to have you safely back again, my Lord the King. Now look at this next one over here if you can. Uh, it goes right into the next chapter. Brasilia of Gilead had come down from Rogaland to escort the king across the Jordan. So what happens out there? All these relationships, all these people come together, and there's a great restoration takes place, and everybody said, eating at the table to Mephibosheth was the most amazing, the most honored, the most thing that caused him to rise up in spite of what Ziba had done to him. Eating at the table was number one to him. And to God, every time we get together, isn't it amazing that God calls us to eat at the table? And God tells us at the table, it's a time when we are to examine ourselves. We're to check out our lives at the table. Are our lives honoring the Lord? Are our lives living for him as number one in our lives? Are our lives really dedicated and sold out to him? Are our lives treating one another with respect and with dignity and with honor? You know, I read about a, I was out west with a man years ago. It's about, actually about two years ago. I believe it was. And this man was a friend of Bob Jones. And Bob Jones had a visitation that actually changed his life. I know if you check him out online, you'll see some things about him, but Bob Jones had a real impact in the prophetic. And I remember this man that was next to me because I was a speaker at the same conference. and I didn't know who he was, didn't know anything about him. He was a pretty nice guy. He sat next to me, shook my hand when I came in. And then he got up and he started sharing about the last words of Bob Jones. And the last words that Bob Jones showed, because the next day he died, the last words that he shared was he said, be reconciled to all. Be healed with all. He said, you don't want to allow the cloak of bitterness and unforgiveness to be robed around you when you die. Be reconciled. So that was his last words, last words that he had shared. I just wonder 
How many people are here today? Maybe like the relationship with Zeba went south. Maybe the relationship with another brother went south. And maybe the relationship didn't, didn't go the way that you felt that it was going to be. And, and where has it left you today? Well, the Bible says that God makes a table before us, even in the presence of our enemies. There's a verse in the scriptures that I stand upon from Proverbs, and it says, if a man's ways, come on, please the Lord, the Bible says he, God, will make even his enemies to be at peace with him. What I've learned over the years is that we've had a lot of enemies, come on, because either at WCF, it's usually not much in between. Either they love us or hate us. Amen. That's, I mean, that's just the way it is. It's been that way, and don't understand why all that there, but I just know that's what it is. But I can't tell you, I said, God, I, I just want to please you. And you said, if my ways would please you, you said you will make even the enemies to be at peace. And if I start naming people, it'll blow your circuits how many enemies today have become peaceful with us. Because we choose to please the ways of God, amen? And so I say all that there, because if you look at Jesus and you look at the people that he brought to his table, probably be a little bit of a wake up. Sometimes we think about in the Bible, the disciples as these incredible 12 disciples, and we have pictures of them with their halos in churches. Come on, with the halos? Okay. But if you look at the people that Jesus picked and chose with him, in Matthew, it actually speaks about he brought them all to the table, and they weren't the most desirable individuals. Let me just give you a little bit of background over here, okay? Jesus called the 12 disciples together, gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness, and here are the names of the 12 apostles, okay? So we see first is Simon, also called Peter. Uh, how many know Peter had problems with his mouth? Okay. Uh, anybody here got a problem with your mouth? You spout it off before you didn't think? Come on. Anybody, anybody ever uh, speak first and then think after? Raise your hand. Wave it at me. Everybody look around. Everybody look around. Just take a look around. Blow you away. Okay? Okay? And then, then we know that uh, we know not only there, one minute he's walking on water, and the next minute he's sinking with doubts. This guy was so impulsive. This guy was so emotional. Okay? He was one of the, the references that actually made that that he denied Christ three times. And then isn't it amazing that Jesus, after his death, burial, and resurrection, how many know he says, go call the disciples and Peter. Isn't it amazing the one that struck out was the one he called to the table? And there's something God wants to say to all of us, is even if you struck out, God hasn't changed his mind. He still wants you to come to the table because there you're gonna get to eat, then you're gonna get nourished, then you're gonna get strengthened, then you're going to get broken, and then God's going to restore you again. Can you all say amen? But you got to come to the table. And so amazing, he said, go call the disciples and Peter. And then he said, we know. Uh, then, then the next thing about it, he says, he called Andrew. Everybody say Andrew. You know, he was the one, people don't like this, but he's the one that abandoned John the Baptist and went and followed Jesus, went for the new thing that came up. Come on now. And there's nothing wrong. I'm not denying that. I'm not speaking evil. But the truth was, he was one of the followers of John the Baptist. And then you have James, the son of Zebedee. And, and James and John, and how many know they were brothers? And how many know apparently, if the Bible calls you the sons of thunder, then apparently there's a reason for that. They had to be Sicilian, I'm telling you. They, 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 they had to be, okay? They were hotheads. They had tempers, come on. And, and, and not just that, they were very reactive. 
and, and very spiteful, very revengeful. As a matter of fact, here's Jesus teaching them how to walk. Jesus teaching them how to love people. Jesus teaching them how to care. And they go, Jesus, why don't you just calm down fire on them? Just burn them up. Burn them up. And it's like, okay, guys. And then, then listen carefully. John is one of these guys. John gets so broken, he doesn't even, when he uses his writing, even mention his own name in there. He calls it the other disciple. The other disciple was him. He didn't even want to put his name in the book because he was so broken at what God had done. And it was the goodness of God that touched his life. And then, and then apparently there's James, uh, John, John James's brother. Again, he was the same. Then Bartholomew, and his name was also changed to Nathaniel. He had no guilt, no guile. He was probably the only solid guy in the whole group. Come on. And then Thomas. Everybody tell me about Thomas. What do you know about Thomas. The dude misses one church service. And we call him Doubting Thomas. Never forget when I came to the border, my name was Richard Thomas Shimatero. My son is Richard Thomas Shimatero Jr. He's in the room. And the Canadian immigration guy says, your name is Richard Shimatero. There's no Thomas in your name. And I said, yes, sir. So my license, everything, I don't have a middle name here. My password says Richard Shimatero. I always say God took the doubt out when I came to Canada. Amen. <laughs> anyway, I needed that, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, so, and then there's Matthew. Matthew, listen to this guy. He's a tax collector, okay? The Jews hated him because he would take usury and take all bribes and all kinds of money against the Jews. And so they, he was in a quandary, man. They hated him on both sides. And he's one of the ones Jesus calls to the table. And then Thaddeus, okay, whose name was Judas, also not a spirit. He was one of the guys that denied Jesus in the garden. But this kid was like a little kid, man. He was so full of questions. He said, Lord, what do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? I mean, this kid had all questions, just kind of like little kids. And how many know little kids, they just want to ask questions? And then there's Simon the Zealot, okay? Well, what's the zealots out there? They were the ones that wanted to overthrow the Roman government with violence and weapons. The same as Barabbas. Barabbas literally means son of the father, speaking of all those that have been fallen under the human race. There's two families in the earth. There's the son of, uh, there's the son of God. How many know the family of God? But there's also the children of the devil, and you're either in one family or the other family. And they said, let Barabbas, son of the father, go so that we can. Well, how many know the cross paid the price so that all under the devil's control can come into the family of God now? And so it's Barabbas. Let him go. And, and so we see Judas is brought out over here. And we understand that he was the trusted bookkeeper. He must have looked honest. Jesus knew everything about Judas. The others didn't. And I really believe this with everything in me, that even if if Judas wouldn't have hung himself, if he wouldn't have committed suicide, I believe not only would he have said, go call the disciples and Peter, he would have said, hey, go call Judas and Peter. And I believe the son would have invited him back to his table. And that's for somebody here. That didn't even come out the same way in this service as somebody in here. You felt you struck out. You felt out. You, you, you just so bad to the bone and God's here today. I want you at my table, boy. I want you back at my table again. Somebody here. There's somebody here for that. Okay. And what I learned about what I learned about God is, 
He had a great feast. And he said, there's so many excuses that they all made. Come on. And he said, listen, man, listen, Jesus. Listen, Jesus, I got these five oxen, man. I got this investment, man. I got to take care of this. And, 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 and I got to take care of this work, man. I, I, you know, in a few years, maybe I'll get right with God. Maybe I'll serve God and this and that. And, and then he said, listen, I'm married. I got a wife. Well, so do I. Amen. And what he's saying about is I'm putting all those other things before. And it's amazing. The only thing that God says that I hate it was all their excuses. That's what God said he hated. And the king was upset about that at all their excuses. And in a moment, we're going to break bread together and we're just gonna break up in groups and we're gonna serve one another at God's table today. But I wanna share something that's been really on my, my heart for this here church. And I just really believe that God's calling Windsor Christian Fellowship back to something that's very important to him. And he said, listen, go the highways, go the byways, bring them in and compel them to come into my house. Come on. And the question that I bring to WCF today is, what's your excuses? Are you too busy learning about God that you don't have time to do the work of God? Are we so occupied with our cares, so occupied with our issues, so occupied with our problems. You know, I heard this in my background many, many years ago. Whatever it is that you have need of, go minister to that need to someone else. And when you start doing it for someone else, then God will make it for you. Can you say amen? amen. We say it all the time. When you make it for others, how many know God will make happen for you? And so I've recognized something about God. I've recognized something about God that he calls men and women to the table. I just wonder if we've become so in our comfort zones that we forgot about a lost and a dying world. I just wonder if maybe we haven't been bringing people and inviting people out because we just, we're so caught up in our issues and so caught up in our problems or offended at little petty little things here or petty little things there are more concerned about what that one's doing or what this one's doing than what God is really doing today. And I just believe that we're getting on track again. And the track today is gonna be the track of God that lost people matter to Jesus. And if lost people matter to Jesus, isn't it amazing in Luke 15, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go on this another week, I, I'm just sensing to do that, but lost people matter to Jesus. Isn't it amazing, the lost coin, the lost son, and the lost sheep. And the Bible says that it all came, they all came to him and he shared a story. It was all lost people were at the table with Jesus. Maybe we need to start reaching out a little bit more to lost people. That went over so well. Maybe there's people. And, and the last question, I want everybody to stand because we're going to break bread now. Last question that I just want to ask you do, you. do you really believe that heaven is a real place? Does anybody really believe it? Raise your hand. You really believe in it? I mean, raise both hands if you really believe it. Okay, I, I'm convinced heaven is a real place, but as sure as I am of heaven, I also believe that hell is a real place. And I also believe what the Bible says, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Come on. I'm totally convinced of that. And everything in me today wants to see lost people come into the kingdom. I want to see healthy relationships, and that's important for all of us. But sometimes, even as we're on the mandate, even we're on the mission, 
to reach out to those that are lost, those that are broken, those that are messed up. Those are the people that are open. Come on. Jesus said, you don't need to call the righteous one. Those are already doing well. You don't need to call them to repentance. But it's broken people. It's lost people. And you work with them. They're your neighbors. They're around your neighborhood. They're with you. And they're friends. They're family members. And God's saying, it's time. You start taking, you start praying for them. It's amazing Jesus didn't say, pray for the lost. It's amazing Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send labors into the harvest. It's amazing Jesus' prayer was for you and I today. And may his prayer be answered at Windsor Christian Fellowship. Amen. How many can say I needed to hear this today?